ourselves to different things. Obviously, as followers of Christ, our allegiance is to Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, but we, of all people, should be able to recognize um, how much honor is due someone who sacrifices on our behalf, right? Uh, that shouldn't be a foreign concept to us. And so uh, we certainly want to make note of that and remember that. And also, um, even though Memorial Day is about uh, looking back at past sacrifices, the, the, the cost still continues. Uh, Pastor Adam and all of his family are going to the airport tonight to pick up his brother and wife and all their kids, and they haven't seen them in over three years um, because they've been on a military base in Japan for the last three years. And so they're just families that are constantly enduring these costs. And so uh, if you uh, are active or been, have been active in the past in any form of our military, please feel our gratitude today. And we want to we make a special note of that and tell you how much we appreciate you. There's another group I want to point out this morning. Uh, it's a fifth Sunday. So this is a family worship Sunday, which means our kids are with us. Our kindergartners and third graders are with us when they normally be downstairs. Um, and so we've got an awesome group that serves them and loves them well. And so if you're here and you lead, teach, or just volunteer down there once a month for our kindergarten through third grade, could you please stand uh, this morning so we as a church can recognize you? I know you're in here. <clears throat> Thank you very much. I hope this week is, an, is a nice break for you. And parents, Okay, just breathe, right? We understand that most weeks they're down there. You don't have to corral them. If they get loud, they get noisy. Nobody's going to look at you funny. We get the deal, okay? We have kids ourselves, and so we're glad they're here with us, and we're glad they're here worshiping with you. Um, if you uh, don't have a Bible with you, there's a black one in the seat backs in front of you. You get to page 1056. You'll be right there with us in 2 Timothy 3, and I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we begin. Father, we are grateful uh, for the opportunity to gather here this morning. We're grateful for the chance to be in this place uh, together as this body uh, with an opportunity to worship you, uh, to draw closer to you, to connect with each other, and now uh, with the opportunity to dig deeper into your word. And so we pray that you would just continue what you've already started uh, this morning, that uh, the work you've already done through groups, the work you've already done through fellowship, the work you've already done through worship, that you would just continue that now. Um, God, that you would convict, that you would teach, that you would encourage you get the glory from all this. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, if you're a regular Tinder of FBN or been coming for some time, then, then you have probably heard me speak about just how bad I am at, at giving gifts. Right? That despite uh, all my efforts and despite my desire to get better, I just somehow rarely seem to ever get better. Um, and so for those of you who don't know, just, just so you can understand my bona fides in this, I'm the guy who on one Christmas morning gave my father a mousetrap for Christmas, and on another I gave my mom a quarter that was scotch taped to an index card that said, Merry Christmas, Mom. Those are my gifts, right? And, and you can't even begin to argue that those aren't terrible gifts. And what's worse, I was 32 and 36 years old when I gave them, okay? <laughs> but there's been something that, that God has been revealing to me I would say repeatedly over the last few months. But there's this, a single thought that just keeps coming to my head over and over and over again. And that, that revelation really shaped how I looked at this week's passage. And it really shaped how I'm going to talk about it with you all this morning. Right? Because what God has been revealing to me is that there are other gifts that we can give the people that we love. That there, there's constantly things that, that we are giving or most often leaving behind that we might not realize in the moment just how crucial they are. These aren't things that we pick out, order from Amazon, and then wrap and give on a Christmas or a birthday anniversary, but they carry more weight and they're much more lasting than those things. And they can take the form of a gift or they can take the form of a curse. And so here's one example to, to, to frame this so you can kind of know what I'm talking about this morning. There are two families that I know uh, personally in the last few months that, that someone in the family got a really scary health diagnosis, like one of these ones that no family wants to get an illness, that there's no guarantee. In fact, the odds are against the person surviving it. And in one of the families, the, the sick person had a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And the other, the one who was ill, Grew up in church, but there really, was no there really is no evidence of faith or fruit in their adult life. And what I watched was that both families were devastated. Both families were sad. Both families were scared. But the loved ones of the person who left no doubt what their standing was with Jesus had so much more peace. Because they knew, no matter what, the story was going to end well. And the loved ones of the person who not only had the illness... Uh, no, the, ones, the person who left doubt, they not only had the illness to worry about, but also their eternity. And watching this, I realized what a gift it was. 
What a gift it was to give your loved ones uh, a a, a confidence to leave them not in fear, not in doubt, not in worry, but to give them an assurance of your standing with Christ and your faith in your future. Every single time I do a funeral, I meet with the family first and I ask them for memories, for stories, for lasting impressions of their deceased loved one. And you know not one person has ever told me about a Christmas gift or birthday gift they've received, but all of them talk about the example that was set. All of them talk about the lasting impressions they made. All of them talk about the impact you had. You know what they talk about? They talk about legacy. And a good legacy is a tremendous gift to give to those you love. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're in the verse 10, which we're going to be starting today, Paul is, is writing a letter to Timothy shortly before Paul's own death. And in today's passage, he's going to begin talking about his legacy. He's going to begin writing about the impression that Paul made on Timothy, the example that he's left behind for Timothy. And I want us to see that this morning, to take real note of it, to learn from it, and then consider what kind of gift that we are leaving behind in our wake when it comes to our own legacy as well. So I'm going to invite Seth Wyram up to read today's passage. He's going to read for you 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. If you're physically capable this morning, would you please stand to honor the reading of God's word? Thank you, Seth. You guys can have a seat. Keep your Bibles open right there to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Before we dive into those two verses, just some context again, right? The reason that this letter exists is because Paul and Timothy had a prior relationship. Right? And elsewhere in the New Testament, we read that he refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. So Paul was not Timothy's biological father, but he was his spiritual father. And, and, and you read in the book of Acts where Paul is traveling and he meets Timothy and he recognizes both at the, the uh, recommendation of the church there, but also when Paul sees in Timothy is a vibrant relationship with Jesus. He's like, this is, this is a guy that I can use for ministry. And so he invites Timothy to be his protege, to travel with him, right? And so they begin going on missionary journeys together. And on one of these journeys, they stop at the city of Ephesus, which is a city in which Paul had previously planted a church, and Paul was stopping and checking the church, and what they found was devastating. Right? They, they, after Paul had left, some false teachers had come in and just made a mess of the church at Ephesus, and it was in shambles. There was, false teaching was rampant. There was all kinds of problems going on, and Paul couldn't in good conscience just leave and go to the next city. But he knew he had to. And so what he did instead was he left Timothy, established Timothy as the chief elder, as the pastor of Ephesus, and said, Timothy, I'm going to leave you here. It's your job to clean this up and get this church back on the right path. That's not an easy assignment. And so as Paul continues going on, he's sending letters back to Timothy where we get 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And if you haven't been able to be here or you have and you need a reminder, verse 10 that Seth just read for us marks a, uh, a noted shift in tone in this letter. Because all the way back in chapter 2, verse 14, Paul started instructing Timothy on how to deal with difficult people. People that he talks about who want to argue. They want to debate. Uh, They wanted to get Timothy off message. They wanted to get him off mission. They wanted to oppose him and disagree with him and just be a problem. And then he warned him in chapter 3, after the rest of chapter 2 dealing with how you handle those people, he's like, guess what, Timothy? It's only going to get worse. You think this is bad, it's just going to get worse. And then he says that misplaced love is going to creep its way into the church. That people are going to start loving themselves more than they love God. And in those first five verses of chapter 3, we see the ramifications of what happens whenever human beings love themselves more than they love God. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty. And then last week in verse 69, Pastor Adam taught us on the section where Paul mentions to Timothy that those those who are in Ephesus that are doing this right now, and he equates them to some Old Testament examples. These crabs, right? These worms that, that find the cracks and, and work their way in and come in and influence others for evil and not for good. And just so you know, th- this week, I heard of two more examples of pastoral and ministry failure. That have, instead of loving the flock, instead of faithfully pointing them to Jesus, they, these men abused them or took advantage of them out of a love for self. And I feel a a visceral pain in my chest 
whenever I hear these stories. For multiple reasons. For one, I know, I know how much our enemy loves to bring church leaders down, and that's a really sobering thought for me. But secondly, I know, I know what this leaves in its wake and how the victims of this have, have years of unwinding these things and, and need help and healing. But thirdly, how this hurts the church of Jesus as a whole. Because these two examples that I heard of have nothing to do with all the FBN. We're not related to it in the slightest bit, but there are people who hear those stories and cite them as evidence for why they will never walk into a church. And so our job to share the hope of Jesus with them just got that much harder. And so I'm thankful this morning for the, for the shift in tone that we find in verse 10 because there's, that there's somewhere else that we can put our focus. And Paul is telling Timothy, right, we need to be aware of the negative, right? But we don't need to be consumed by it. Because too often it feels like the church of Jesus is adopting more and more what I would call a defeatist attitude. You hear quotes like this all the time. Well, the world is just so much worse than it was when I was growing up. It feels like our, our society has lost its collective mind. And then you add into that the failures that we find in the church. And it's like we make this unspoken shift where everything is terrible. There's nothing I can do about it. And so the best that I can do is sort of just bunker down and just hope and pray and beg that I stay faithful to the end. Right? We, we, we adopt this mindset without even knowing it. But you know what? That doesn't match up at all with what we find in church history, and it doesn't match up at all with what we find in the commands of Scripture. I want you to see this morning what Jesus said about his church. Okay, Matthew, uh, we're going to start with four verses. We're going to start in Acts 1. Uh, he says, you will receive power. Hear that word. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, Jesus came near to the, and said to them, all authority... Not some, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. 2 Corinthians 5, this is what Paul says about the church, that we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then Jesus, again in Matthew 16, says to Peter, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, and hear the possessiveness of this language, Jesus says, I will build my church. Not leaving it to somebody else. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not seeing in there where we're helpless. I'm not seeing where God doesn't want us to try, doesn't want to use us to make a difference. I'm not seeing where I'm supposed to somehow hide away or cower away in fear and be overcome with apathy or have a defeatist attitude. What I do see is that the church of Jesus is going to receive power when we receive the Holy Spirit. What I do see is that all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. What I do see is that we're to take his message to the world, which they did, by the way. But there's a reason that Jesus gave this message on a mountaintop outside of Jerusalem, and we're here in Terre Haute, Indiana, an ocean removed. And what I do see is that we are to be ambassadors of the king of all the universe and that our message is to plead with others to be reconciled to God. And what I do see is that the gates of hell itself cannot stand against Christ or his church or her, or her mission. And so, yes, Paul spent the last 32 verses of this letter warning Timothy about the people who are getting it wrong. Yes, those wrong things are and will still continue to worm their way into the church, but we should all be thankful this morning for how verse 10 starts. Because Paul was not leaving Timothy in that negativity. The CSB puts it this way. Verse 10 starts this. But you, Timothy. I've warned you about all the negative. But you, that's not going to be your story. You, Timothy, will not be defined or consumed by the negative. You have seen a different way. And he's been dropping it in through the whole letter. Chapter 1, verse 5. He, he recalls to Timothy the faith of his grandmother and mother before him. And chapter 2, verse 8, he tells Timothy, don't forget, remember Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then chapter 3, verse 10, he's saying, now Timothy, remember the example that I set for you. You see, we need to be aware of the negative. We need to learn from it. We need to guard ourselves against it. But we cannot be consumed or defeated by it. And there's no need to be overwhelmed by it. Because we also have to recognize this, that any, any podcast or news story about a major church failing and crumbling is always going to get more attention and more listens and more views than hundreds of stories about churches who are quietly and faithfully sending and multiplying and serving and loving and being ambassadors of Christ right where he has them and right where he sends them. 
And so the negative's always going to be in our face. And so we need to take Paul's advice here to remind ourselves of the good, to remember Jesus and his faithfulness to us. And then to a lesser degree, recall the faith of those in our lives who are genuine and humble and faithful and serving. And let that, as Hebrews 10 puts it, let that spur us on to love and good deeds as well. There's another thing this passage does for us. When Paul lists this legacy that he left behind for Timothy, what he does is he paints for us a portrait of what a godly leader should look like. And so let's look at verse 10 again. He says, but you, Timothy, you you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me. Right? So the very first thing he lists for Timothy is, is that a godly leader must be faithful in teaching. which means that they stick to the truth, they remain gospel-centered, they remain Christ-focused, and and this is jumping ahead a few weeks in our study, but look with me at chapter 4 and verse 3. If you've got your Bibles open to 2 Timothy, look at chapter 4, verse 3. And Paul shifts back into a prophetic moment where he's telling Timothy about what is to come in the future. And he writes, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to miss. The time will come, Paul said. You know what I say? The time is here. Because there are too many impressive, compelling presentations that are a mix of psychology and success motivation and a really charismatic personality with a Bible verse or two sprinkled on top, and it's called preaching or teaching. And it's all about the fluff. And it ignores the stuff, the stuff that makes a real difference, the stuff that points people to Jesus and salvation, the stuff that deals with human sin and the debt we owe God. When we lose focus of, about what our teaching should be about, which is glorifying God and staying true to his word, then teaching done in the name of God becomes a really bad thing really quickly. When we lose focus of glorifying God and sticking to the truth of his word, the motivation quickly becomes a personal brand or staying popular or not wanting to be, to be upset or ruffle any feathers or building a crowd. And that's when you start saying things that Paul would say, uh, that saying things that itching ears want to hear. You start caring more about what society thinks of you than what God thinks of you. You start compromising truth and downplaying sin and avoiding the holiness of God. And then you're actively leading people away from God, all while giving them a false sense of security, which might be the most cruel thing you could ever do. And so a godly leader must be a faithful teacher. But the other thing that we see here is that their walk is more important than their talk. That as important as teaching is, it does no good for someone to be a faithful teacher whose lifestyle isn't faithful. It does no good for parents to tell their children not to do things that they turn around and do all the time. It, it, there's a breakdown of messaging if a teacher or coach is constantly telling students or players one thing and then living or doing another thing entirely. Like humans can see the, those inconsistencies, which is why if you look at verse 10, the list after teaching is longer because Paul also left for Timothy an example of conduct. And he says, you, you followed not just my teaching, but my conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. His conduct is just basically, it, it's his behavior and how he walked and how he lived his life. His faith was how he had a trust in the Lord at all times. His patience flowed out of that faith that he wasn't rash or overly emotional, but he trusted God to move in his and other people's lives. His love came because the love that God has for him was so immense that it freed up Paul to love others sacrificially and selflessly. Paul wasn't perfect. Okay, there's only been one person who's ever been perfect, but his conduct consistently backed up what he was teaching. And that's important. Because a godly leader must be a faithful teacher, but he must also, he or she must also have conduct that that backs that up, and then they must have endurance. Look at verse 11. He says, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Now, he reminds Timothy of persecutions and suffering he endured, and he specifically mentions three cities, right? Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Now, do you know that if you read the book of Acts, that's not even close to the list of cities that Paul was persecuted in? It doesn't even scratch the surface. And so do you know why he mentions those three specifically? Because in the book of Acts, we read that Timothy was with Paul in all three of those cities. 
And so what Paul's doing here is he's, he's not telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, remember those stories you heard about me? Remember those legends that you heard about me? No, he's telling him, I want you to recall what you saw firsthand in my life. You saw me go through these things. You saw me endure them. And all of this flows from what Paul describes as his purpose. He mentions in verse 10, you followed my purpose, Timothy. And Paul had a clear purpose for his life, one that we should all adopt. In Acts 20, uh, ironically, he's speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus, and, and he tells them what his purpose is. Paul says, I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of God's grace. So the question is, do you want to lead well? Do you want to be a good parent? You want to be a good mentor? You want to be a good teacher? You want to be a good ministry leader? You want to you have good influence over people? You want to leave a great legacy behind for those that you love and those you pour into? It's a really simple formula. It's hard to live, but it's a really simple formula. Step number one, you find your truth and you base your worldview off the truth that is in God's word. You don't, you're not influenced by sight. You find your truth in what God has revealed to us. Number two, you then share God's truth with those that he's given you influence over. So you find it here, you share it with those that give you influence, and then number three, you work to ensure that your walk lines up with your talk. You do that, and you'll have godly influence. And one of the best gifts that you can give someone is a good example. It's not stated outright, but I think you can all catch it in verses 10 and 11. Can, can you sense the full freedom of a clean conscience here? Where Paul can just openly say, Timothy, you followed me. You know me. You know my teaching. You know my conduct. You know my life. You know my endurance. His life was an open book for Timothy. He doesn't ever have to write, Timothy, do as I say, not as I do. Right? And so there's an, there's an incredible freedom for Paul in that. So the, the, the lack of shame or guilt had to be a big relief. He had done right by Timothy. He had left him a good example. And I told you at the start of this that God has been bringing these thoughts to my mind a lot recently. There's been these repeated conversations I've had with other people or experiences I've had, things that I've observed, where I'm seeing more and more and more the immense value of a good legacy. I met with someone recently on request of their family, and in our conversation, they talked a long time about their upbringing about what it was like for them being a kid in their home and, and how they experienced it and what they recalled about it. And they were incredibly honest with me about it and how they felt. And my entire drive home from that meeting, I just kept thinking, man, what are my kids going to say about their upbringing? When they're in their 40s and they're confiding in someone else and I'm not in the room and I'm nowhere around and they can just give their honest assessment, what would they say about their dad? What would they say about their home? What would they say? What would they remember about me? And I, I just have not been able to shake that thought ever since. I met with another friend of mine who's, who I'm, I, I love watches. I'm, I'm watching the Lord actively work in his life. It's awesome to see God in the process of drawing this man to himself. And he was telling me about just how sick he feels, just how he's sick and tired of living for and giving time to things that just don't matter in the long run. And then he and his wife have been talking, and they, they just want to focus on only what's important in life. And so that begged the question from me. All right, it sounds good. So what's most important? And he said, well, what's most important is my wife and my kids and our family, and that's it, and that's the list. And I told him, man, that's, that's a great list if this, this life is all there is. If this life is all there is, your list is perfect. But if there's an eternity that lasts much, much longer than here, there's something huge missing from your list, and that's Jesus Christ. Because as a father, and as a husband, and as a friend, when I go, what I want is I want my family to know with confidence that I'm in heaven with Jesus. And more than anything else, I want them to know how they can join me there. Because the Bible is crystal clear on this, right, that all of us are sinners, Right? All of us have, have, have broken God's good command, and we, we fall short of his standard of perfection and holiness. And so we owe an eternal, holy, awesome God a debt for those sins that we cannot pay in and of ourselves. And so if we go to our grave, having never, never had those sins covered or atoned for or paid for, we will spend an entire eternity in hell. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to come and live the sinless life that we have not and could not love. He made a way for us. 
When Jesus went to the cross and died, he died to pay the price for the sins of any who would believe in him in full. And when he rose from the dead three days later, he did it to offer us eternal life in heaven with him. And so if we simply would place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe in him, not only will all our sins be forgiven in full, but when this life ends, we will go and spend an eternity in heaven with him. Which is why God, which is why Jesus, which is why the gospel must remain the most important thing in our home and in our lives. And I'll be honest though, I don't know that I always get this right. In fact, I do know I don't always get this right. But here's where I take some comfort. There is one who is perfect, and that's Jesus. And so I don't want us to be paralyzed by this idea of perfection. Instead, what what I want us to do is aim for consistency in our walk and our character. What what do I most consistently pursue? How do I most consistently act? What do I most consistently point them to? And And when I do things that are inconsistent with that, do I consistently repent and apologize and seek forgiveness? See, do you know as followers of Jesus, we are called to live in a way that is others-focused? That we are to love God and love others and love ourselves a distant, distant third? But you know one of the best ways that you can love others is by keeping your stuff together? One of the best ways you can love others is by walking the walk. One of the best ways you can love others is simply by finishing well. Because we may hate it, but our failings affect deeply the ones that we love the most, regardless of when it happens. I, saw, I read a study just this week that, that busted up a myth I'd heard about divorce my entire life. Right, the most common thought is that divorce is damaging to kids when they are little, but this study showed that, that when parents divorce when their children are adults, it actually affects the adult children even more. They have a harder time adapting. They have a harder time getting over. They have a harder time reconciling their upbringing with what they now know to be true. I meet with old adults all the time who still wrestle with trauma of the mistakes their parents made late in their lives. And they didn't know how to vibe with that, with the, with the thought of their mom and dad that they had in their mind their entire life growing up. I spoke with a pastor friend of mine this week whose mentor, whose father in the faith, if he's Timothy, this guy was his Paul, was hiding a horrible sin for decades and it absolutely devastated him. His faith is in Jesus. He's not having a crisis of faith, but the pain of being deceived by this man again and again and again for decades, the word he kept using was, I'm heartbroken, I'm heartbroken, I'm heartbroken. Do you understand what a gift it is that we can give our kids, what a gift it is that we can give our protégés and those we love and invest in and our spiritual children by having a consistent walk with Jesus? What a tremendous gift it is that we can give them just by finishing well. It's one of the best ways that we can love others more than ourselves. Now, the application of this seems pretty clear, but, but there's just a couple points of encouragement for you as we close. And the first is this. Align your life and your faith in your words. Again, I, I don't want you to be paralyzed by some ideal of perfection. We all sin. We all stumble. And the grace of Jesus is ever present to us. Why his grace is so glorious is because it's so abundant. Okay, it never runs out. But, but don't you agree that consistency is an offering that we should give to the Lord? And so the question is, does the, does the faith that I claim and do the words that I say and things that I teach and the life I live, do they all fall in line with each other? Or is there a break in there somewhere? Maybe it's a cause or a movement or teaching that, that actually doesn't align with God's word that I've just given too much credence to, I've, I've gotten too excited about or maybe there's something else that's become more important than Jesus to me. Or maybe, maybe my actions and my responses, my attitudes and decisions don't exactly vibe with what I claim and what I say to others I am. Here's how Charles, Charles Spurgeon wrote about this once. He said, a man's life is always more forcible than the speech. I love this line. He said, when men take talk, stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and his doctrine disagreed, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. So the goal is to keep those three things, the faith that we claim, the words that we say, and the lives that we live in harmony with each other. And secondly, I'd encourage you to invest in your legacy now. And I know just by saying that, just when we start talking about legacy and things we leave behind, you immediately people begin to think, well, he's just talking to parents or just talking to, to elderly adults. But this is for all ages at all times. And here's why. 
There are some people who will only know you for this season of life right now. There are some people who will only know you for this season of life right now. Now, this is especially true if you're a student in school or in college, but it's also true if you have a job. It's also true if you happen to live in a neighborhood. It's also true if you happen to, to live in a town. There are some people who only know you for this season that you're in right now. There's a kid I went to high school with at Cloverdale High School. Now, Cloverdale is a tiny town, and Cloverdale High School is not a large school. And all the way through my particular grade, all the way from kindergarten through 12th grade, we were the smallest grade, a smallest class size in every class that preceded us and every class that came behind us. And so there was about 66 kids in my high school graduating class. And one of the kids I went, through, went to school with from kindergarten through 12th grade, he was, uh, how would I put this? He was a grade-A jerk, okay? Like a Hall of Fame tool. And, and truthfully, I can say that because he and I got along pretty well. I, I didn't actually have much personal issue with him, and saying that out loud may, now makes me wonder if I was a jerk in high school, right? But he, 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 he and I were fine, but he was not a good person to a lot of other people. And I witnessed and I saw it. He was incredibly mean. And it's a tremendous story because sometimes after, sometime after college, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he's experienced a tremendous transformation. And would you believe it? He's a pastor now. He's serving in a church in Connecticut at some point, and then he was in northern Indiana. And I ask if you believe it because there's a lot of people I went to high school with who don't. In fact, the number of people that, that I graduate with who specifically like, find a way to reach out to me and ask me just about this guy because they're trying to vibe with what they knew about him with what they're hearing about him now. You know what the really cool thing about that is? Is it's given me multiple opportunities to talk about the gospel and how Jesus can absolutely change lives. But you know what else I think? Is I think there's a reason why God doesn't have him leading the church in Cloverdale, Indiana. Because his name carries with it a reputation that was well-earned in high school. And it's a long story to prove a short point. You are leaving a legacy behind in every season of life. People are watching. People are observing. People are ingesting. People are even being shaped by what we are leaving in our wake. And one of the best gifts that we can give to others, one of the sweetest offerings that we can present to the Lord is to have our life and our faith and our words be in alignment with one another, to sow seeds of a good and godly legacy in all that he gives us influence over. And so to close this morning, I want, I want you to think this morning about those that you love the most. Maybe those that you live with, those who are around you the most, those that you have influence over, those that you have invested in and poured into, those who work with you or go to school with you. They, they're just around you and they see you and they hear you. And as you think about them, I, I have one question for you this morning. Could you write what Paul writes in verse 10? Could you say to those people, no, no, you know me. You've seen me. You've heard my words. You've seen my conduct. You've seen my faith. You've witnessed my love. You've witnessed my patience. You know the purpose of my life. And could you feel good about what they've seen? Would your conscience be clean? I'm not asking that to make you feel bad about what's already happened. What's past is past. Can we leave that to the grace of God? Paul himself says in Philippians 3, I, I forget what is behind and I strive ahead to what is awaiting me in Christ Jesus. And so we surrender what's behind to the abounding love and forgiveness and healing of Christ. But it would be wise and it would be loving and it would be smart of us to plead with the Lord to give us the strength and wisdom to begin or to continue sowing seeds of a good legacy. And here's why. This life is hard enough and I think you would agree with me in this. I don't want to be yet another stumbling block for the people I love to have to climb over. They've got enough already. And so let's give them a tremendous gift. Let's give them a legacy of faithfulness and trust in Christ and finishing well. It's the best way that we can glorify God. It's the best way we can love them. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that a life that started in direct contrast to your gospel, a life that started with persecuting your church could end by your grace and love, by Paul telling Timothy, Timothy, you've seen. You've seen my example. You've seen my faith. You've heard my words. You've seen my endurance. You know the legacy I'm leaving behind for you. I'm thankful for the encouragement that had to be for Timothy. I'm thankful to see the gift of a clear conscience. And so I pray that you would 
among the people of this church, among those who are, who are hearing this, this, this message, God, that you would raise up in us a, a generation of people who take seriously the legacy that we leave behind, who take seriously the example that we're setting for others, who take seriously the amount of influence that you've given us. And Lord, may our life and may our faith and may our words be in alignment with one another. May we consistently walk the things that we talk and claim that we believe. And whenever we falter, may we consistently run to you in repentance. Lord, would you form us in us for the sake of those that we love? Would you form us in us for the sake of those that we care about? Would you help us not to be another stumbling block for them to climb over, but instead to be an encouragement to them? And would you do this for your glory among us and in this world? And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Before we end our services this morning, we're going to give you a time, uh, just some time to pray to the Lord and wrestle with some things he might have put on your, life, put on your heart or point out in your life this morning. There's some guidance on the screens if you need it, but this is just a few moments for you to spend some time with him and respond to some things he might be saying to you this morning. So please take advantage of that.